1: Today, I interviewed Richard Grome, the Executive Chairman and CEO at Alt5Sigma. He recently joined the company less than a year ago, and previously spent 36 years in the securities industry, starting out in Canada on the trading floor. So we discussed a bit of his journey and what he learned from his years in fintech. He has really a great perspective on the world, both from an understanding of the fiat landscape and payments, but also how it's transitioning into crypto. So I really appreciated that. We talked a lot about UBI, the impact of the economy with inflation uh, and other crises like water and how he's investing in companies that are improving the world. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I bring you Richard Groom. Today's show is sponsored by Otter Labs. Check out HireOtter.com if you're looking to hire full-time, long-term developers and want to get them cheaper down in South America. If you're based in the U.S., it's a great alternative, especially if your engineering team is remote. So Otter helps place candidates that are full-time, long-term, English-speaking, well-educated, and experienced working with startups. So a great option if you are looking to hire developers. And with no further ado, here is Richard Groom. All right, Richard, I'm uh, excited to dive in with you today. You've got so much experience, I almost don't know where to start. Um, why don't we kick this off with you telling me what you're currently up to, what your current focus is?
3: Uh, well, Mike, thank you very much for inviting me on the show. Uh, my current focus is with Alt 5 uh, Sigma and uh, joined them in May of this year um, to help help the team uh, grow the business uh, exponentially. And Alt 5 has two, two products, namely Alt 5 Pay, which is a payments gateway for crypto and um, Bitcoin to fiat and fiat to Bitcoin. And the second uh, product is a white label product uh, called Alt5 Prime or Pro. And um, our target market here is essentially any money manager uh, and or financial institution that uh, wishes to offer Um, a digital asset or crypto solution to its clients so that's really the two products and um, uh, they're built um, by our team and uh, we launched them in um, the fourth quarter of uh, 2020.
1: Hmm. And you joined fairly recently so the company where is the company in terms of the size and traction?
3: Yeah so the company um is a delaware based company head office in new york with uh, operations in toronto and montreal as well as we have sales teams in miami um vegas and el salvador uh believe it or not el salvador and um we're about 28 30 people now and we will continue to to add selectively as we grow and and add customers
1: yeah and so the company was started um, a while ago, right? I guess.
3: Yeah, it, about 2017. So, yeah. you know, we're about a year and a half, two years behind um, the vast majority of the big successes uh, that you see as brand names out there. But uh, I got to tell you, we're catching up pretty fast. Um, and some of the uh, extraordinary successes of, um, you know, the Coinbase's and Geminis, et cetera, um, it's really a testament to human ingenuity and uh, what can be done and um, if you put your mind to it. So we're doing the same thing, but really with an institutional focus. And in terms of geographic focus, um, on the institutional side, it's a little slow in in, um, North America, Canada, uh, trails the US in terms of um, adoption rates. But uh, we're finding some very big success in Central and Latin America for a whole variety of reasons.
1: Hmm. So this is through banking partners down there in Central and South America?
3: Uh, As a matter of fact, we do have an asset management partner, uh, Fisherman Wealth Management in El Salvador. And um, his platform, um, he will launch a trading platform very shortly. We're just waiting on final licensing. Um, and that will be extremely exciting. And we have another partnership, um, that we're, uh, in the verge of signing, um, that is a software middleware provider to, um, numerous clients that are large banks in, um, throughout Latin America. So we're working on that agreement as we speak. And, uh, we, we prefer these types of agreements because, we end up in a, in a revenue share, but we end up with immediate account penetration, if you know what I mean. It won't take us hopefully two years to get in the front door and um, get a serious contract done. Mm. Uh, we're hoping that it will expedite um, quite radically our, our client close rates as well as our onboarding time.
1: Got it, got it. And so the product effectively is for people who are managing money. Or institutional, so large, large companies, like I'm picturing, um, a Fidelity or a bank, um, where people store their money, and then you would be the software that those folks can use. So, if a money manager wanted to purchase crypto for one of their clients, they would use a Alt Five API or, or, or portal. Is that? Yeah, we set?
3: have um, we have the full APIs for both products on our site, and. The answer to your question is yes, uh, but Fidelity would not be a good example. Uh, A good example or better example would be uh, Raymond James, for instance, which is a a fabulous uh, institution, brokerage firm, investment bank. um, And they've been around for years and they're currently not offering um, any digital assets to their clients, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and we can do essentially a plug and play and get them in the business, um, on a, on a vastly reduced timeline, uh, and their, their choice is really, do they build it themselves or do they partner with someone like us? Mm. And if they, if they, if they want to build it themselves, as you know, large organizations can tend to have a longer, uh, delays, uh, longer timeline. And it usually costs more when we build it ourselves. Um, And in our case, it's already built. Plus, we have uh, some very exciting attributes to our platform. We have multiple liquidity providers. So we have a a best order routing system in terms of price. And we have about eight or 10 uh, liquidity providers. And we're adding more uh, almost uh, every month or two and that provides some very deep uh l- liquidity in terms of uh the bid and ask and the ability to move size so if you wanted to move you know um $10,000 worth of bitcoin versus $10 million worth of bitcoin um we can certainly accommodate the 10 million
1: mm, gotcha gotcha and without uh, too,
3: without too much market friction if you know what i mean
1: yeah 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 i think i know what you mean um yeah so you join? Uh, why? Wh- what was the situation like? I- I'm curious. Whenever uh, well, founders or executive team switch, was it a pivot in the company or?
3: No, it's a long story. Um, I guess because of my securities background, you know, one of the founders is a friend of mine, and he um, uh, was asking me, "Would you be interested?" And you know, I'm a fiat guy. So I'm one of the, I guess I'm the oldest guy on our team. I'm 63, but I still barefoot water ski. So watch out. Oh. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that offline. But, um, so I joined in May, um, and I was not, um, you know, a, a Bitcoin or, or crypto aficionado. Um, I sat down with my wife, who's a CPA and, um, we sat down with her maybe five or six years ago, and we looked at the whole story and said, you know, why don't we invest in some Bitcoin? But at the end of the day, we decided not to for security reasons and for compliance reasons. You know, that's what I'm, I'm trained for in terms of my 30 years plus in the investment banking world. So we missed the boat. Um, and, you know, you I now? see all these... I see all these twenty and twenty-five-year-old multimillionaires everywhere. <laughs> Mike, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The transformation of wealth um, to the younger generation is is something that is 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 out, just outstanding. I, I've never seen anything like it.
1: Do you and, say that with um, reserve? I mean, do you feel like uh, some spite? No. For, yeah. I think oh, okay. it's
3: great. When I was twenty years old, I was at McGill University. Working at the CIBC Visa Center for six or seven dollars an hour on weekends to pay my way through school, and and being a waiter and a busboy at the same time. So, no, I think this is great. I mean, um, I, I I can share some words of wisdom at the end of the discussion if you'd like. But um, and so I joined in May, and um, you know, uh, quickly have had a learning curve. I wake up at four in the morning now because I can't sleep. There's just too much going on in my head. And um it's it, absolutely extraordinary with what's going on in the digital world. We're living through a revolution of finance. And you have the old world, which is the fiat world, right, where I'm from. And then you have the new world, which is the digital asset world and the DeFi world and the DAO world. Um it's, it's just incredible what's going on. And it will transform many industries um, and it will improve many industries like letters of credit. When you're buying goods, uh, shipments from overseas, the whole LC process is absolutely crazy. The whole bank wire process is absolutely crazy. You know, waiting for three, four, five days for a bank wire and being charged 45 bucks each way To me, it makes absolutely no sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, But of course, those are the constraints with what that system had at the time. And it Mm -hmm. only seems crazy. And I, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so walk me through how you think about this transition for larger financial companies. Is this, obviously you can't pivot a large, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, banking or fintech company, uh, even in a year is incredibly difficult. Do you think... What do you tend to think about the most? Is it how to convince these organizations that this is inevitable and they need to adopt it, or are they more or less fully on board at this point and just trying to figure it out?
3: You know, Mike, it's it's. I think it's all over the map, actually. Um, You have the early adopters, which are, you know, the Goldman Sachs, the J.P. Morgans, the Citigroups, et cetera, and Fidelity, by the way. Um, They're offering. An interesting array of products, most of them are to accredited investors only. And then, of course, you have the ETFs, which are having some are being approved and some are not being approved in the U.S. In Canada, we had one of our ETF um, trailblazers who had to sue the Ontario Securities Commission uh, to get the prospectus seriously reviewed. They refused to review the prospectus. Um, and finally, they won. And Wait, so, what? We're now managing north of $3 billion.
1: Could you get assets. the government to approve or even review it to approve?
3: Correct. The, the Securities Commission, the, the, the Ontario Securities Commission would not approve the prospectus. So he actually took them to court and said, You're being prejudicial. We've, we've fulfilled everything that you well, need. that's a good sign. And finally, they won and the prospectus yeah. was approved. That's a very good sign. So, you know, the the regulators across the board uh for the vast majority of cases are are trying to get their heads around what's going on and um it's not easy sometimes because we're all used to, you know, the same way of doing business with the same types of assets. So there's a learning curve for everyone and that's what's going on now. Coming back to your question on on the financial institutions and how fast can you move and change course? Um, it really depends on ultimately the regulations. And if uh, if as and when either the SEC or the Commodity Bureau end up uh, regulating uh, digital assets and crypto, um, we s- obviously seen some things happen with coins and the definition of a security. But um, we're now in a, I call it an arbitration gap we're in a zone that's a gray zone uh, for the most part where a lot of the banks and financial institutions don't want right, to move right. until there's clarity on the regulations. Okay. And so in the meantime, and, and going back to, you know, the Goldman's and the city groups, they're offering product on a, on a accredited investor basis only. They're not offering it to the, most of them are accredited anyways at Goldman Sachs. Right. But uh, that's another discussion. Um, so the vast majority of financial institutions are in what we call, uh, research mode and gathering information mode. Um, and we have signed a federally chartered bank, uh, in the United States, and we've done basically a full integration with them. Um, and they're ready to go, uh, in the first quarter of 2022. And that, that will be an extraordinary situation when they're ready to launch. And I think the only tweak they have to do is on the compliance side, but uh, everything should be good to go And, by and now.
1: How many, if you had to throw a percentage as just a ballpark guess, uh, of these banks are capable of, whether it's through Alt-5 or some other service out there, are capable of integrating with crypto? Is it like, are we, at you a know, 0.1% or 5% or 10?
3: You know, I would say, let, let's take the financial institution category and break it down, um, Mike, and we'll start with the broker-dealers. So in, in the United States, there's about 3,500 broker-dealers. Um, each one of them could offer and we could integrate with each one of them uh, for digital assets and the trading platforms. Uh, with respect to the state banks and federal banks, um, our experience so far is that um, the larger the bank, the more interest they have, and the smaller the bank, the less interest they have. Um, unless there's a new change of management or a new bank that has been created with a, a brand new licensing um, for digital assets, some there's some brand new banks being created now in Wyoming and Puerto Rico that are strictly and solely focused on digital the digital world,
1: the crypto world, which is incredible. Like a yeah, yeah. wow, that's interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a, and and they'll go through the same licensing process as other banks, so they can call themselves a bank, but they just won't have fiat connection to yeah. with a wire.
3: Well, it depends. It depends on what they're doing, if it's a B2C bank, business-to-consumer, or a B2B bank. And it also depends if they're a state bank or a federally chartered bank. Each each case will be different. And then it, it'll depend on their business model. Um, some of the B2Bs may not want our trading platform because they don't want to be in the trading business. right? Um, they just want to be in the banking business and bringing, bringing in crypto and sending out fiat, for
1: example, Mm. you know? Yeah, interesting. I'm with you on this. Um, So
3: So everything is changing, uh, Mike, everything is changing and it's changing rapidly, extremely rapidly. You know, I was, I started in 1984, maybe before you were born um, on the floor of the Montreal Stock Exchange as a trader. And we didn't have any computers and we had the old fashioned phones, you know, like with the cords. Yeah, you
1: know? I've seen it.
3: And we had we had pink tickets over here. We had blue tickets over there. And so, you know, I was, you know, just out of McGill, and and uh, I was getting uh, a training salary of of a hundred bucks a month that didn't even pay my bus fare, obviously, or my lunches but it was quite an experience. And in six months I got my license and then I moved upstairs to be a research analyst and institutional salesperson. So it was, it was the best experience of learning, um, how, um, the theory of crowds, crowd movements happen. And also we didn't need computers to figure out who was doing the insider trading. We just had to look at where all the blue and pink tickets were coming from. And, and I w- I'd say, what's going on to my, you know, my bosses. And they said, oh, this company must have some news coming out. And all the insiders are buying on insider news. Oh, wow. So that's how I learned about not to do insider trading. Wow. Huh. What? Do you- so we, we didn't need computers to figure that yeah. out. Yeah.
1: Um, what do you think about that? I mean, just as a concept for a, for a moment. So insider trading being the concept that there's... There's a, a, what would you call it? Like a moral wrongdoing
3: privileged, privileged information. It's terrible. People shouldn't do it. Right. And you know, the, the digital asset world is not regulated. Right. I, I could show you a dozen cases or more of insider yeah. trading where people are trading the coins and they know everything that's going on. Whereas yeah poor guy next door knows nothing about what's going on yeah 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 it almost seems uh, that's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons why you need some regulation
1: well i mean just even remove the concept of like a company and then a person running it and then disclosing that information from an abstract sense insider information is is a desire to have a, a a free market where people can purchase stocks companies and sell those based on how they how they perceive the company's future to look and, and having equal access to information for everyone that can participate in that exchange is critical to the health of the exchange. Let's just take it from the exchange perspective, because if you didn't and there was just, what would happen for instance, just playing devil's advocate. If you remove that rule entirely, you say, okay, you know, do whatever you want. There's no rule on insider trading. People would, tell their friends, you know, it's largely relationship driven so that it would become more tribal. It would become more, uh, relationship driven, favor driven. I'll tell you an insider scoop and then you do me this favor. Uh, yeah. Which it is kind of like what where crypto is now. Like, and I, I'm like, how, how where can I identify free-for-all. the problem in and... the free for all in the crypto market today? Is it the, is it the fact that there's people out there trying to pump and dump you know they're getting together in private telegram groups they're they're all buying at the same time other outside people buy it and then insider is the people in the group know when to sell and then the people who bought in the outside are screwed and it's like that's going on that's going on every day is um i almost think there's a countermeasure that happens (laughs) though because you start to realize that this is happening so you uh you know, you don't, you don't participate in the stocks in the same way. Maybe, so maybe the argument against insider trading from a systemic level is that it it overall decreases the liquidity in the market because people have higher risk that aren't in one of these private groups. It's like, if you don't have inside information, then you're at a disadvantage, which is, it's kind of interesting to think how it'll play out in the crypto world. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Time will
3: tell, you know. The next, the next six to eighteen months, um, we should have some regulation in the United States, and the United States will lead the rest of the world. Yeah. But I noticed, you know, I noticed on the NFT side, uh, Japan has come out recently and said NFTs are not a security. NFTs are an investment of of um, of an asset nature that is not a security. So. I found that very very interesting with what's going on within. What is
1: the concern with the security? So security is a obviously it's a it's a touchy word because it, it comes with a lot of baggage, so to speak. What's your take on it?
3: Well, there's coins being issued all over the world, and um, some of them are reviewed in a prospectus, but mo- and and approved by a securities regulator to a minimum standard of quality and trust and most of them are not and so you know if you have um, millions of dollars or hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars of a coin that has been issued uh without a prospectus no one really knows the whole story and so um you can get nefarious at are not necessarily the most ethical people in the world and that's where the regulators are concerned, and rightfully so, right
1: yeah, yeah, so there's a real valuable part that regulation plays in it's, legitimizing the the tokens
3: yeah. Like, yeah, and to being transparent about who owns what, who paid for what, how many founders are there, how much did they pay, uh what is their escrow like there's no there's no escrow in in some of these. Uh, original founders coin issued. Um, so if, if all sorts of great news comes out and, and the coin goes from, you know, one cent to five dollars. Well, what happened to the guys that got all the, all the coins at, you know, 0.001 cent? Uh, are they escrowed? Are they allowed to sell at five? Sure. They're, they're not escrowed, but they'll, they'll probably sell at five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the concern from a a regulatory point of view uh, about the coins being issued. But that's one of many concerns. Never mind the governance of, of if there's a board of directors and the management team and how people are paid. So when there's no prospectus file, there's no disclosure for the most part on these items.
1: Mm-hmm. and ultimately uh canada will be waiting for the u.s to make a move i would imagine
3: you know i think so i think it's going to be follow the leader um it'll be the u.s in the next you know three could be three months it could be two months it could be january we don't know right um but I, my guess is that that gray zone w- will they'll try to shrink the gray zone as fast as possible so that they can get some regulation in place and and more clarity for the bigger institutions coming back to your question.
1: Yeah, and I imagine.
3: I was just gonna say, sorry, Mike. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're uh, a bank or an asset manager or a mutual fund manager or a hedge fund manager and your clients uh, or your broker dealer and your clients are saying, you know, uh, Mike, uh, I'd like to buy $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. And uh, you tell me, sorry, Rick, we're we're not set up. Uh, we cannot buy a uh, hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. We can't trade it. We have no idea how to do that. There's no system here. But you have all my assets. You know, you have half a million dollars of my assets. I'd like to put, you know, a hundred thousand into Bitcoin. It's probably too much, but let's just leave it at that. And you're going to say to your broker, "Well, um, I want to buy it." I've talked to my wife and and my partner uh, or my partner and um, we would uh, like you to send us a hundred thousand bucks on a bank wire to my bank account and I'm going to go buy it somewhere else. Yeah,
1: that's That's what's happening today.
3: Yeah, that's what's going on. So you have these massive successful exchanges and um, retail uh, houses, Voyager, Coinbase, Kraken, to name a few, Gemini, um, but the the asset manager is seeing what I call asset slippage, and the asset slippage is now quite substantial. It's you know largely between the t- twenty and forty year old uh, age age group, but when it comes to to my age group, it could be very substantive, and more and more people of my age are saying, okay, I guess I should throw in the towel and you know, buy one or two or three percent of my portfolio in digital assets and buy a basket. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what I see people doing now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it right? makes sense. I think there's probably more pressure too with inflation, people feeling like they want to diversify yeah. more as uh, yes, things become more expensive. And obviously crypto makes a run and then people get excited and they buy it at the high. Uh, or maybe not, but it does does draw a lot of attention to it. Uh, I dig it. It makes perfect sense. I mean, effectively, you're taking market share from the exchanges, you're giving it to the traditional uh, fintech companies that are managing money and making it easier for people so they don't have to split up and have their money in different places, which is, yeah, a big value add. But Um, then you have
3: the the unexpected... um... Surprises. And so, for instance, Mike, we were at the Vegas show a few weeks ago, the money 2020 show. Mm -hmm. I mean, my gosh, the everyone that we met hadn't been out in almost two years. So it was everyone was very excited to be out of the house.
1: I can tell you that right now.
3: How did they do it? Was
1: everyone, was everyone wearing masks?
3: Uh, for the most part, yeah, it was very impressive. Uh, most people were very compliant. So, um, An unexpected uh, consequence of what's going on. We had this gentleman come up to us at the show, I think at four or five o'clock near closing time. And he says, do you guys do, um, can you transfer Bitcoin into fiat? And we should, we said, sure. We've got a a product called Alt 5 Pay. And And I said, what are you looking for? And so I, he said, can I sit down? And we sat down at our booth. And he said, uh, I run a travel agency. It's an online multi-level travel agency and all of my clients are wealthy people in Latin America. I said, Oh, that's very interesting. He says, of course, because of COVID, my business is down 50%, but it's starting to come back. And next year in 2022, I think I'm, I'll do, you know, between X and X plus two. And it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So we said, absolutely. What's, what's the problem? And he said, well, 30% or more of my clients want to pay me in Bitcoin. It's awesome. I said, really? I would never have guessed. And he says, yeah, because they're coming from Argentina. They're coming from Peru, Chile, Bolivia, um, Brazil and, most of those countries have um, very high inflation, like Argentina's forty to fifty percent, and their currencies are not doing well at all. So, you know, in in North America, Mike, we take we take for granted, you know, our very low I- I- inflation. Yes, it's up. Uh, I mean, I buy a barbecue chicken for my mom once a week, and the chicken went from six bucks to twelve bucks in the past 4 months so yeah there's inflation everywhere never mind the gas prices but we're not seeing 50% inflation so when you see wouldn't that be wouldn't that be 100%
1: inflation in yeah the in, the,
3: in the case of the chicken but i think it was also a supply chain
1: issue um, yeah that's true that's true which is
3: which is part of everyone's problem right now
1: right i'd rather take the supply chain problem because at least that's temporary it feels like you would fix that
3: exactly so go back into latin america for a sec and this gentleman he's running this travel agency and of course he's based in miami and we had him for an hour and we shook hands and we signed him up last week and so if he's doing 150 million and um 30 of his clients you know that's 45 million dollars a year and that's a half a million dollar client for us awesome And, and that came out of the blue, and yeah. they yeah they were not in our sort of targeted vertical markets. So we're yeah. now looking at all of the online travel agencies around yeah. the world
1: as potential yeah. clients. Yeah. Right. That sounds like a really smart idea. Yeah. What do you what do you think about this inflation? Do you think that uh, I, I'm I don't know if you if you've dove into the situation down in South America? I don't even know really what caused it. It was just a collection of bad. Political fiscal policies, or if there's something else going on, but I'm curious if you have a take on what inflation, what what inflationary situation we're currently in, or how to make sense of it.
3: You mean in in Canada and the U.S.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think of Canada and the U.S. in comparison to, say, South America or places that have managed it better. Um, you know, is it to say, hey, we're doing the best with what we can? The U.S. It's a good idea to have printed. 6 trillion or whatever, how many trillions of dollars we spent. And that, that dampens out the, the negative economic impact of a pandemic. And it's just the price you pay. Or if sometimes I just feel that, Hey, we're making a big mistake collectively. We're kicking the can down the road and it's going to be 10 times worse later. And, but I also have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm <laughs> curious if you have a take.
3: Excuse me. So the inflation, my response on the inflation, Mike, would be it's very complicated. Um, And the first place I would I would stop and look is the port of Los Angeles and all the ports on on the Western seaboard. Um, They're all uh, a logistical nightmare for the most part. And the goods and services that are being held up, um, you know, they're they're talking um um many uh, companies are not going to be able to receive their shipments uh, as planned for christmas um plus the price of the containers uh in shipping have gone out of control in terms of leasing them for the um the the duration on the ship and then you have the whole covid situation that Apparently has exasperated and caused a lot of these supply issues. And when you ha- when you have shortage of supply, you have hoarding. Well, I don't. I still can't figure out why there was hoarding of of um, toilet paper, toilet paper? Yeah. last year. I, I just that totally is beyond my comprehension. I yeah. I don't get it. But yeah. when you have scarcity of assets, you have hoarding, and people go and buy um, more than they need. And what does that do? That empties the shelves and it raises the prices. Okay. So it's a real chain domino reaction, like dong, dong, dong. Every, everything falls. And I think that's where we're at right now. Then on top of that, you've got the, the stimulus program, uh, in Canada and the U S for COVID. And, you know, we're paying people $1,500 to $2,500 a month to stay home. Uh, because they may have COVID. Well, I think it's frankly, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, yeah. every single business that I've seen in Canada and the US in the past six months is starved for uh, willing able employees. employees. And I was just out for breakfast with a client this morning, that breakfast place is closed. Why? Shortage of employees. I've I just about fell off my chair. Are believe. they?
1: Is the government? Is Canada still giving out checks to people? And yeah. Is the check come when you get COVID? So there's actually no, a- no, no, no. It's okay, a, just,
3: it's a blank check.
1: Yeah, it's blank it just check. comes. It just yeah. for everyone, everyone gets free money. Yeah. So yeah,
3: it, not everybody, but a, a lot of people, and so there, there's, there's a gap of people wanting to work.
1: It's, and are they getting that every month? Is it fifteen hundred every month?
3: You know, I think it's fifteen hundred to two thousand a month. I oh, don't know. I've good. never, I've never I mean, actually received it. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. But that, some that people, certainly... but some people need it, and I, I respect that, and I understand that. But a lot of people don't need it. You know, there's yeah. always the outliers. I know people with a million dollars in their bank account that are getting two thousand dollars a month from the government. It's absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Well, this is kind of the, it feels like, I don't know. I love trying to make sense of these things first and try to understand the challenge. It feels like the challenge to me is that in a society, there's the a healthy society, we'll call it, or decently healthy. There's the vast majority of people who can contribute willingly to the economic situation in whatever way that they uh, desire to do that. And then there are some people that are either um, between jobs, you know, financially, and they're just, it made a few bad bets, but they're fully capable of getting back into the market. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who who are in- incapable of contributing. You know, they're mentally ill, physically disabled, so much so. And I think those two groups, and you could probably put the elderly uh, without any savings in that category mm-hmm. as well. So maybe those two or three groups are the ones to, are the ones that drive the whole uh, you know, free money, argument. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to live in a society where no. people are down in their luck, or they're incapable, no. and they're just dying or starving and on, yeah. on uh, homeless. And so we give it out. I, I think the the universal aspect is is probably wrong. Like there has to be some deterministic mechanism for figuring out who who would deserve mm-hmm. that, who is actually re- eligible to receive it. And that is where the friction comes, because it's it's almost like you can't ever optimize that entirely. Because any optimization game the government's going to play, there's going to be people who outsmart it. And yeah. so it's just um, it's like something you have to tolerate. Maybe ten percent of people who abuse the system, and just say right. the best society is is a, is an inefficient but but mostly functional one. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but I the, find the universal no. income interesting.
3: We, we've Canada have been talking about it, um, and to the best of my knowledge, it's still being talked about. And um, it's a good thing to talk about this because uh, I'm not necessarily against it, but I'm not necessarily for it because it's an extremely complicated subject. Right? What what is the best thing to do? Um, But I I can tell you, uh, capitalism I think is better than communism. And, um, then there's the question of what about the benevolent dictatorships in the world? And that, you know, that takes us, you know, far out from our discussion on digital assets. But, um, look at what Dubai has accomplished. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of, um, you know, some of their policies and some of their laws, obviously. Um, but they get things done and yeah, it's functional. when we want to do a bridge here, I mean, it takes 10 or 15 years. It's ridiculous um, to get everything done properly. So, uh, you know, we're in in the G7 or G10, whatever you want to call us. Um, it's, it's a challenge to get things done now because of not only the regulations, but the red tape and the special interest groups that, don't want something to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it does seem like if you have an absolutely united effort, uh, you know, dictate benevolent dictator, as you say, you're going to just make progress. You know, China can build a hospital in three days yeah. where where in a, in a free market, there may just be more resistance, competition, red tape to go through where you can just wipe all that away. If, if the person in, in charge says, let's do it. It's like the United States having 50 states and 50 different uh, regulatory bodies for financial payments and financial licenses is slow, but that, that elasticity or that slowness builds resilience. So you can't, it's, it's less likely so take even COVID, it's less likely that the. US, I think is going to make a countrywide poor decision because largely the decision is on the state level. So we see how did California do? How did Oregon do? How did Texas, Florida, New York? How did they each do? They took different philosophical stances, yeah. and ideally, we can look at the numbers and and hopefully have trust in numbers and say this was actually a better approach. And I think play it out long enough, and that that works out. So splitting company countries up into multiple states, I think was probably the best thing we we ever did as as Americans or the United States founders ever did. Um, But yeah, I hear you. I wonder. I think of capitalism less as capitalism and more of just what you do when there's no system uh, overriding it. You know, it's like Hmm. okay, you and I want to do business together. I you trade me your piece of software. I give you some money. You know, you 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 can sell a house. Trade trade whatever you want, and we label that as capitalism. But it's just people exchanging goods and services freely, and then we layer on. Regulation, we layer on um, rules about who you can trade with, and that becomes less free market and more kind of centralized control. To the point where it's, you know, you have the government telling everyone what to do, and like you say, communists. And I think that that clearly we've we we had to have come out of the twentieth century saying that doesn't work. You can't tell people what to do and pay everyone equally because people's brains are operate differently. You know, we're we're Mm -hmm. wired differently, which is the absolute most beautiful part about humanity so uh yeah
3: very good point but then you have you know you have the pure uh capitalism uh capitalists and then you have you know the evolution of something called the b corp right um which is sort of capitalism but with a social conscience and i think we all need I mean, I'm not going to tell everybody what to do, but um, I think that is a great example that um, instills uh, a greater accountability for all of us towards our environment, our our neighbors, our friends, our associates. Um, you know, the the animals, the air, the 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 environment in general. That. You know, we we shouldn't be destroying the environment the way we've done it. Um, And yes, oil and fossil fuels are, I guess, proven to to um, be a contributing factor to global warming and causing havoc. You know, I mean, in Canada, as well as the United States, the amount of storms, fires and rain floods that we've had in the past six to 12 months is is just off the charts right um in british columbia just north of you has been uh suffering big time from these atmospheric um rain um clouds that have come in and given them dumps and dumps of rain it's 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 extraordinary so the b Corps and the social consciousness uh as part of um a capitalist structure i think is the way to go um i mean i don't know if you saw recently but there was a whole bunch of articles on linkedin about whales contributing uh to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and there were some stats that were done i mean we'd have to plant two, two one, one or two billion trees to make the equivalent uh greenhouse GHG reduction from the amount of whales that are killed every year and harvested uh, by humans. So, and it's really, there's some amazing stats um, yeah. on, on LinkedIn from various members. So, yeah. you know, ask yourself the question, do we really need to harvest whales? Like maybe part of our global warming situation can be solved with just letting the whales live. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think of this as I think of the B Corp as where you go from where you go from where where you left off is what do you do with it? You have this optional corporate structure that companies can adopt. And I, I effectively look at it as a a stamp of marketing for companies that say, Hey, we're gonna as one of our fiduciary duties, the board is gonna consider the economic impact of the greater good. And why does that matter? Well, consumers prioritize that. You know, I think millennial Gen Z would rank you know, along with price, quality, economic impact as one of the major factors. You know, I know from just being in that generation that it's a big decision. You know, if you're buying food, especially you're thinking about what was the impact that this animal had buying yeah. free range. People love the health implications of it, but they're also concerned. And I think this is a socioeconomic progression. There, there's a study I heard recently of um, they did in India where they looked at the economic uh rising of people so they took average monthly incomes and then they asked them a survey of what what matters most to you and as people make more money they care farther out so they're immediate they're making very very little if they're poor they're just concerned about rent this week and food this week yeah. if they have enough to say six months to a year they're like okay I'm thinking about my kids if it's you know I have you know, plenty of money for my lifetime. I'm thinking about generations. I'm thinking about the planet. I'm thinking so as abundance becomes more prolific, more uh, you know, more available to everyone. Then, then we think. And I think I, my thought is that this is the missing narrative in the climate change conversation because you can't change. There's, I, I know for a fact that people who are concerned, paycheck to paycheck, are just never going to care. Yeah, statistically speaking, you know, certainly there are individuals, but but your incentives are yourself first, your family, your friend group, you know, and you play that outward in concentric circles. So, yeah, my 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 sweater is a Patagonia sweater. Yeah,
3: Made from recycled material. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Yeah. And part of it is a brand. Richard knows when he buys that sweater that he 100%. is associated with that yeah. idea. You know, if you're,
2: exactly.
1: you know, it's, and you, and you want to be associated with that yeah. because okay. you want to move us in the right right direction. So, right. so I, I think that's a perfect example. I don't know if Patagonia is a B Corp or not, but it doesn't need to be because they've made their mission very clear. Yeah,
3: they've done an amazing job. I don't know if they're a B Corp or not either, but I, I love what they stand for and I'll always favor their products. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what are other things that you think about? I mean, you had uh, a, water. A, an ex- yeah,
3: water. So uh, we've done a lot of work on water over the years. I financed many different types of water companies and uh, purification companies. But really, the we I came to many conclusions with with some of our associates and partners um, that we work with on projects, and the the world's water problem is, I think, solvable with atmospheric water. And um, the...
1: What is the problem?
3: The problem is there's not enough water, and it's evaporating very quickly as the climate gets warmer. And consequently, in atmospheric water, we can, with a 20% humidity, you can actually take water out of the air. So in cities where... There's water stress. let's talk about Cape Town, let's talk about Manila. I mean you can name a hundred cities. Um, there's and there's no need, in my opinion, to go through massive water rationing uh, in the cities and we have a you know another discussion on the, in the country um, because there's atmospheric water machines that can even be powered by solar that can take water out of the atmosphere, number one. Mm -hmm. And you can purify it with a couple of filters and you're good to go. And so there are retail solutions to that for cities. And then going into the country, there's agricultural solutions as well as uh, solutions for each village. And you can actually, there are actually uh, atmosphere of water Uh, machines in Kenya and other countries in Africa that uh, are run by um, a family in a village and uh, they're feeding the village with fresh, clean water. And we are absolutely, you know, with the exception of certain places in in North America, you know, be it on a, um, a native reserve which I find incredible why, why they still have water problems and boil, boil water advisories. But, uh, and with the exception of certain cities that, that have um, uh, worn out water systems and, and pipes that are leaking and, and rusted, um, North Americans are very spoiled when it comes to water. And um, when you look at what's happening in Latin America, certain parts of Asia, And, of course, Africa, it just breaks your heart. There's no reason why these people should be dying of no water or uh, drinking terribly contaminated water. So, um, and there are all sorts of economic solutions to this. And so, I, you know, when...
1: How about, um, I was going to ask you, what do you you think about desalinization for cities in particular? I think...
3: I think the energy consumption on desalinization is, is um, very high. Yeah. And um, it, when you desalinate the water, there are no more nutrients left in the water when you drink it. Um, so it serves a purpose, but I don't think it's, it's the final solution. It's, it's definitely a solution for mass volumes today, but, Longer term, I I think it will stay a a solution, but it's not the solution that we need to feed, you know, a billion plus uh, people that are uh, malnutrition, that suffer from malnutrition and are water starved. Hmm. And it's a big problem.
1: Yeah, I just I mean, knowing very little about the subjects, just seeing these giant oceans, uh, it would seem like a system to just convert that being that so many people live on the coastline. Yeah, and there's you know infinite supply of water, but it has salt in it. Um, yeah, but I guess if it's energy intensive or if we're not very efficient at it, it the air has
3: the the air has the water too.
1: Yeah, and what does it have enough? I mean, do you have any idea? Oh yeah,
3: Yeah. we've got white papers from all sorts of brilliant scientists that you know you could take. Um. X number of of uh, pounds or square inches of water out of the atmosphere, and it won't even make a dent. So I think we're good for
1: at least a billion or two billion people. Probably harder in desert environments. Vegas is not pulling out water from the air.
3: No. As long as you're over 20% humidity, it can work. Um, generally, most machines will
1: work. So, there, so I imagine, there's an interesting yeah. solution. Yeah. Yeah, you no, know, I I know uh, charity water is one of the first charities I donated to, and I, I got excited about because it does seem like that's the most important thing. Um, and you know, and Mike, there's tons of
3: coins that uh, have been issued um, around water. I when we did our research report on this um, this summer, um, or during the the spring. Uh, we were astounded to see the number of water coins that have been issued. And the, the technical innovation that's coming from the digital world um, in trying to solve uh, human problems is absolutely extraordinary. It's hmm. impressive, very impressive.
1: And is the concept there to generate money that goes to people who need water?
3: Yeah. And to use the coins, um, uh, to create a currency, there's, there's multiple, uh, coins in water that have been issued. And so each one is a little different. Um, but you know, it's, it's, um, exciting to see the creativity coming. And, um, some of them are working well. So, uh, you may want to have a look at that. And I'd be pleased to introduce you to some of the, uh, people that are doing some extraordinary work uh, in Africa uh, on um, the water side of the business because they're helping people, and yeah, and that's what it's all about, right? We're we're not here by ourselves.
1: Yeah, it reminds me. There was a a buddy of mine who has a website when I was living in Boston that would show you it plotted all the springs, the natural springs, so. I think they were trying to raise money, or they had a, um, a a vision to allow people who own natural springs to bottle up the water and sell the water. So you could just, you know, drive down the street, go fill up at the tap. It has a you know, measuring device on it, or somehow mm-hmm. it tracks it, and you pay for it. But you can just get it straight out of the ground. It's pretty grassroots at this point, but it does it does make a lot of sense. It's if you own the spring. <laughs> you know cool. you don't have to worry about water cool. i guess it has to be filtered i don't know if you can just drink yeah. water straight out of the ground in cities but yeah interesting depends problem. on the city depends on the city yeah that makes sense yeah awesome man so uh you're looking forward with uh alt 5 and you're now running the ship um one thing i want to ask you is how do you how do you run how do you run the company are, are there Things that you've learned or techniques, uh, things that you, you value, especially highly, um, I'm talking about say, do weekly all hands meetings or mm. setting OKRs or I- any of those things stand out to you as, um, yeah. having worked. So n- nobody likes a bene-
3: benevolent dictator. Okay. And so you you the what I found over the years is you you really need a team so we're building a team and it's not just me it's it's the whole team and we've got some just fantastic people on our team and we continue to add great people we just added a young man in Newport Beach who was who a hedge fund trader and um he knows more about uh, trading crypto than most of us. And um, he's brought extraordinary value to the table. Um, so he's in he's in the West Coast and he's helping us out with uh, a variety of things, including trading, demos, marketing, videos, as well as customer support. And um, also... Um, Introductions to family offices and institutions on the West Coast. Um, so we also have added uh, key people in compliance and and onboarding, as well as sales and um, accounting. And if you have bad accounting, yeah, you know, falls apart, right? So yeah, totally. You can't have a bad, You can't have bad accounting. You need really good accounting.
1: Are you so, totally remote? Or is it in well,
3: person? No, we, we have people in Toronto and we have people in, in Miami and people in Montreal uh, and uh, one person in New York. COVID has sort of put a um, a couple of curveballs to us, but we're making do. So in answer to your question, uh, my teamwork is really important. And there's the way I view things, there's no one person that's more important than the other. So if I need to take a garbage can out, I'm going to do it. If I need mm-hmm. to change the water in the coffee machine, I'm going to do it. Like this hierarchy stuff that, you know, many people were brought up with. It's as far as I'm concerned, it's out the window. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing is we do have a, a weekly all hands meeting uh, every week, Friday at noon. And for it's for the whole vast majority of of the team and um we go through what happened in that week the good the bad and if there's any ugly and we review um each department and communicate because the toughest thing in COVID is really communicating right and i'm not a i'm not necessarily a fan of communicating all the time on email Mm because you know we're emailed out and we're actually zoomed out I think yeah. I've had like five hundred Zoom calls since I joined in May and like yeah.
1: I can't take any more Zoom calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well soon enough you'll have the 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 VR headset on that you could just do it yeah. in the metaverse. Yeah. That'll solve so all your problems. It's,
3: it's really creating a team, you know, whether it's a baseball team, hockey team, or football team, you know, the quarterback and the coach is nothing without the rest of the players. And so you know the only message I can leave your listeners is just be part of the team and and maybe be the chief cheerleader um, and and be easy with criticism because everyone makes mistakes.
1: Yeah, yeah, wise words right there. Well Richard, congrats on all the progress over your career and with all five here and wish you guys best of luck. So uh, thanks Thank for coming you on so today. much.
3: Thank you so much, Mike. look forward to seeing you again. All right.
1: Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you.